from across the river in uh, Wilmington, Delaware, where I'm the minister at Emmanuel Orthodox Presbyterian Church in Wilmington, Delaware. It's a pleasure to be with you again. I've been with you uh, on and off over the past uh, few years, and it's been a privilege to do pulpit swaps with uh, with Andrew, but now uh, with uh, Pastor Ellis, as he's now uh, over in Wilmington, and I'm here, so it's uh, good to to build this union and fellowship between our, our churches, which are in different presbyteries, but same denomination and different states, but same region. So it's good to be with you. I also uh, have with me my wife uh, this evening uh, and our youngest son, Adam. We have four boys and our youngest is with us this evening. And we have a brave a couple brave souls who are watching our, our the rest of our children back over the river in Wilmington. So it's good to be with you. Our text for this evening comes from the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 2, that famous passage of the announcing of the birth of Jesus to the shepherds. So Luke chapter 2, jumping down and beginning at verse 8, verse 8 through 20 of Luke chapter 2. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, And lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been uh, made, told them concerning this child. And all who were heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God. For all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given him by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Let's pray as we turn and look at this passage. Gracious Father, I pray that you will move us to praise by, as we meditate on this passage, just as the shepherds and even the angels in heaven were moved to praise by the announcement of the birth of the one who would be the Savior. In Jesus' name, Amen. Were you surprised by any of the Christmas presents you either you received this year? Now, maybe some of you children, I see, a, I see a child nodding their head, maybe, and I see some of you, maybe you're surprised by some of the gifts that you received. I was talking to someone over this holiday season uh, who is, you know, a little older, 
and they were commenting how it's a little sad that as you grow older, sometimes the, the, the joy that comes with receiving gifts is somewhat lessened. Because as you get older, Lord willing, you have the money to buy, the gifts, the, the things that you want, so there's not so much your depending on what's about to happen at Christmas or birthdays to receive those things you, you greatly desire. Whereas you and your younger child, if you're going to get something, it's going to have to be given to you as a gift. But as we grow older, we don't uh, need to be given things as much. And so somehow the expectation and joy is lessened. Even though we enjoy giving gifts and receiving gifts, it's not quite the same level of excitement as it was when maybe we were a kid. You know, now we receive a, a new tie or another pair of socks, and those are good gifts, but they don't really, you know, knock our socks off. And if they did, it's okay, because we have a new pair of socks. Now, if television commercials are to be believed, and I assume they are, um, everybody these days is giving their loved ones new cars. And when I see this, you know, everybody's obviously very excited to receive a new car, you know, as they see in the, in the commercials. But when I see this as a pastor, I'm first thinking, that couple needs marriage counseling, because really you shouldn't be making that level of a, of a purchase without first consulting with your, with your spouse. That certainly would be a surprising gift. But it is true that sometimes, either as a kid or even sometimes as an adult, someone gives us a gift that leaves us completely at a loss, completely in wonder, and moves us to exclamations of joy. Maybe you can remember a gift that was like that. For me, it was in 1994. I had been begging for my parents for years for a puppy, more particularly a a beagle puppy, which is what I dearly wanted. And for years, my parents had been steadfastly opposed to the idea of any canine entering our house. So on this Christmas day, as I was opening presents, one of the first presents I opened was a a book on caring for beagles. And I thought, okay, that's silly, knowing how much I wanted one. And then the next one was a, a wreath with dog bone biscuits around it. Um, which was something we, as a family, would generally give to neighbors and those who had dogs. And I thought, okay, that's funny. Um, why are you playing this sort of trick on me? Because if you knew my dad, this was just the sort of thing he would do. But then as I turned around to give my, my father a glare, there he was standing with a basket with the cutest beagle puppy you'd ever seen in the basket. And I was completely bowled over, completely surprised and shocked and gloriously happy. In our text today, on that first Christmas, an announcement comes which, I think, in that instance, gave me just a little bit of a taste of what it must have been like for those shepherds to hear that announcement. An announcement which is glorious, completely, and for their their sake, unexpected, shocking, and moves to exclamations of joy. But it's not just the joy that the shepherds have. But even more glorious than that, it's the joy that the messengers themselves have. The angels are moved by their message to joy. First, looking at the shepherds. Luke records the announcement of the birth of Jesus to shepherds as they keep watch over their flocks by night in the fields 
surrounding Bethlehem, about five miles south of Jerusalem. Now, have you ever wondered, why did this announcement come first to shepherds? Why, of all people, does this announcement come to them? Now, I don't know, Scripture doesn't tell us, but there are some interesting things to note about shepherds and the significance that this announcement does come to them. You know, in our popular kind of nativity scene uh, imaginings of the Christmas story, we can sometimes have an overly uh, bucolic vision of shepherds. You know, we tend to think, I don't know if any of you, you, you know, where I'm in Wilmington, there's no farm fields to be seen. Maybe some of you are, have been involved in agriculture of some sort. I grew up on a, a farm at a small farm and worked with uh, animals where I grew up in northern Indiana. And we tend to think of, you know, in our visions of clean, white, woolly sheep. But having spent time around sheep, I can tell you that while lambs are indeed cute, sheep are generally very smelly, very dirty, and very dumb. And similarly, when we think of shepherds, we tend to think of, if, you know, again, if you're in the city, tend to think of innocent farmers out there in the country, uncorrupted by city life. And while shepherds in the general in the Bible have a, a generally good reputation, after all, Abraham and his sons were shepherds, and David himself was a shepherd, and God himself calls himself the shepherd. So they have generally good reputation in the Bible. The reputation of shepherds, though, in the broader culture of the first century, when this message first comes, was far from a positive one. Shepherds had a reputation for being antisocial, morally dissolute, and frequently were regarded as thieves and robbers. In fact, in some literature at this time, the word shepherd and thief and robber could be interchanged, used uh, interchangeably. Because they were people who spent most of their lives separated from their fellow human beings. And because of that, they were viewed as somehow being separated from humanity in general. Their work made them ceremonially unclean. And they were not allowed to participate in the religious ceremonies that happened at the temple. If you can think of their reputation, um, one that we're more familiar with in our own literature, think about you know, a, the, the reputation of sailors on leave in a port town. Right? That's kind of the picture you would have of the way this society viewed shepherds at that time. Some ancient Jewish sources written right around this time say that shepherds had such a bad reputation that their testimony was not even allowable in a court of law. So in other words, if you were a shepherd, you were not allowed to be a witness in a court case. I find God's divine irony delectable that both the announcement of Jesus' birth and the first revelation of Jesus' resurrection from the dead both come to people whose testimony would not have been allowable in a court of law. If there was a court case seeking to determine the veracity of this, the people that the announcement comes to would not even have been allowed to testify. First to the shepherds in the fields and then in his resurrection to the women by the tomb, whose testimony was not allowable in court. Here God, in his, to those to whom he chooses to reveal himself, he doesn't go to the powerful, he doesn't go to you know, the courts of, the, of Jerusalem, to Herod's court, he doesn't go to, the, to Rome, he goes to shepherds in Bethlehem, confounding 
putting to shame the so-called wisdom of the world, picking the weak things to shame the strong. As Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. So these shepherds are outdoors, separated from the broader human community, by their occupation and reputation. But while they are separated from the society at large, separated even from the temple worship and not allowed to worship in the temple, so it seems if the sources are to be believed at the time, their work probably was intimately connected to the work of the temple. Sources tell us that the pastors surrounding Jerusalem, within a certain radius around Jerusalem, were dedicated to raising the animals needed for the daily sacrifices that happened at the temple. And you had morning and evening sacrifices and all these people would bring sacrifices. So there was quite a large number of, of animals, of lambs, of cattle that were needed for those regular sacrifices at the temple. And so this radius of land around the temple, around the Jerusalem, was dedicated to raising animals for that purpose. And Bethlehem falls within that radius. So we don't know for sure, but it seems quite probable that these shepherds were themselves raising the animals which were to be used for the sacrifices in the temple. And so the announcement of the birth of the one who would be called the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, the one whose death on the cross would put an end to the need for all that temple ceremonial system, the announcement for that comes to the shepherds who are raising those lambs, announcing the Lamb of God. As they are there keeping watch over their sheep, the angel of the Lord appears to them, and the glory of the Lord shows around them. Some commentators, some older commentators, speculate the way the word talks about the glory of the Lord shining around them. It's not so much like you know a spotlight shining, but they are in the middle of the glory cloud of God, so that light is coming from every direction. The glory of the Lord shines around them so that there would be no shadow cast. You know, when you have a light shining, they cast a shadow because light is coming from one direction. But this, the word seems that the glory of the Lord shines around them. They're in the middle of light itself, so there is no shadow. And the shepherds respond to this manifestation of the glory of God the same way people in every age respond to the glory of God when they experience it truly and fully. And that is, they were afraid. The people of Israel, when they saw the glory of God descend on Mount Sinai, were afraid. And they were even afraid and moved by the presence of the glory of God as it was reflected on the glowing face of Moses when he comes out of the presence of God. Of Isaiah when he's given that vision of the heavenly temple. Of Zechariah when the angel appears to him announcing the birth of John. Or Mary herself and when she hears the announcement from Gabriel announcing that she would be the mother of Jesus. <coughs> they were afraid. 
Whenever we truly encounter God, it always disabuses us of our own comfortable ideas of God. But the angel says to them, fear not. Which seems like a strange thing to say, given that there is actually quite a big reason for fear. Being in the presence of the glory of God and of an angel of God is not something that anyone can truly stand up in the face of. But he says not to fear. Why not fear? Because he brings them gospel. He brings them good news. An announcement that he is about to give them is for them, and it's a good one for them. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign unto you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Good news of great joy. Announcing that something has happened which will bring about peace. Now, it's worth pausing for a second and noting that this gospel of good news is in contrast to other claimants to good news in the world into which this announcement comes. For this world into which the Savior is born is a world under the domination and rule, particularly of one man, Caesar Augustus, the emperor of Rome. In fact, the reason why the baby is born in Bethlehem, from a human perspective, is because this emperor in Rome gave the declaration that the world was to be taxed and people had to return to their city. So Mary and Joseph had to go back down to Bethlehem to be registered so that they could be taxed. So that even the whims of an emperor way off in Rome affect even these lowly uh, carpenter and his betrothed in Bethlehem. And he promulgated through his decrees and that he was to be regarded as a savior. They have discovered, say, an inscription uh, that hails Augustus, the Roman emperor, as a god. What this inscription reads, that his birthday signaled the beginning of good news for the world. Another inscription reads thus, Augustus is the father of his divine homeland Rome, inherited from his father Zeus, and a savior of the common folk. His foresight not only fulfilled the entreaties of all people, but surpassed them, making peace on land and sea, while cities bloom with order, harmony, and good seasons. The productivity of all these things is good, and at its prime, There are fond hopes for the future and goodwill during the present, which fills all men, so that they ought to bear pleasing sacrifices and hymns. The emperor was to be worshipped as someone who brings peace. And his rule is seen as that which brings peace on earth, the Pax Romana, and good news, goodwill to men. Here is a man who had set himself up as a God to be worshipped and be looked towards as a savior. A mighty emperor in a mighty city of a million people, the largest city in the world at the time. But this announcement of good news 
It's very unlike that good news which was claimed by, say, the emperor in Rome. It's good news, not of the birth of a mighty emperor in Rome, but it's good news of the birth of a child who doesn't even have a place to lay his head and must be laid in a manger. But this one who is born is not a man who becomes God, but that God has become man. The one who was promised, who would sit on David's throne. He says, I give to news, born this day, a Savior who is Christos Kurios, Christ the Lord, or the Christ who is the Lord. He is the Messiah, the one who fulfills all the promises of God towards man. He is the Messiah, not just the Messiah, the promised one who would sit on the seat and throne of his father David, but he is Christ the Lord, that title used for uh, Yahweh himself in the Old Testament. He is Christ who is Yahweh, Christ who is the Lord. And this birth will indeed have worldwide consequences. It is good news for all people that God has become man. That will bring, as we see, peace on earth. What is that peace? It's peace between God and man. And it's both worldwide and personal. He says, you know, to all people, but it's born for you, shepherds. It's born for you. It's both global and personal. It's always important to remember this whenever we meditate on the Christmas story. It's not just an announcement of general good news. But it's good news if you will believe it and receive it for you. And he tells them there will be a sign. There will be a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger in Bethlehem. Now, I don't know if they, why they needed much of a sign. I think standing in the middle of the glory of the Lord, surrounded by... Uh, an angel, and then hearing, as we'll hear shortly, the, the seeing the heavenly host singing. I don't know what more of a sign you need, but he's saying this is, will be the sign to you that what we're saying is true. Go to Bethlehem. I'm sure there were many other babies in Bethlehem at the time. Many of them will shortly perish. But there's only one baby that's lying in a manger. That's not a place where you would expect to find a baby. It's not where you would normally put a baby. And that will be the sign to them. This great worldwide king, the ruler, God, Christos Kurios, in a manger, in a feeding trough. Now the shepherds, as we will see, were certainly moved to wonder and rejoicing by this announcement. But there's another group which is also moved to wonder. The angels themselves. As the King James puts it. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. This one angel gives the announcement, and as he finishes his announcement that Christos Kurios, Christ the Lord, is born in Bethlehem, lying in a feeding trough, there showing up with him is a multitude, countless, of the heavenly host. 
You know, when we think of, you know, if you look at, like, Christmas card pictures of this scene, uh, frequently you'll see images of these, these heavenly angels as, like, a, a big choir in choir robes. Or, worse, they show up looking like babies, like cherubs, which I think is my, the worst depiction of angels I could imagine. That doesn't inspire the sort of fear and recognition of the glory of God that the, that the uh, shepherds have here. Because rather, what heavenly host literally means is heavenly army. It's a military word. This is the heavenly army, the army which you remember back in the Old Testament when one of the prophets is surrounded in a city and his servant says, who's going to save us? And he says, there's more with us than there are with them. He says, what do you mean? He says, Lord, open his eyes. Open Gehazi's eyes. And he opens his eyes and he sees there the chariots of the army of the Lord there. That's what shows up here. This is the heavenly host. This heavenly army of the Lord who shows up and is seen here giving praise to God. As John Milton writes in his poem on the Christmas on Christmas, he writes, At last surrounds their sight a globe of circular light that with long beams the shame-faced night arrayed, the helmed cherubim, the sordid seraphim, are seen in glittering ranks with wings displayed. And this heavenly army shows up and they say those words of which I think sometimes we can be almost too familiar Glory to God in the highest, and earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. As the old Latin translation puts it, glory in excelsis Deo. In other words, this announcement is not just saying glory to God in a place. Right? They're not saying glory to God in the heavens, in the highest heaven. That's not what they're saying. Glory to God to the highest level. The highest level of glory to God. Glory to God to the greatest extent. They're saying that this event which has happened, the birth of a baby in a manger, in a feeding trough, calls forth from the angels themselves the highest level of praise to God. The very angels who dwell in the presence of God forever, eternally, who are his servants and his messengers. Those who are there in the heavens who cry out, holy, 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 in the presence of God. Who have the most intimate experience of the glory of God. As they witness, as they proclaim this incarnation, this birth of a Savior for sinful mankind, they are moved to a new level of praise beyond what they have ever given before. They're still creatures like us. They're still finite. And they are coming to know God in a much deeper and greater level than they ever have before, so that they are moved. The angels themselves are moved to give glory in the highest level to God by this most humble, at least from human perspectives, events of a birth of a child in a manger. The angels themselves, are, who are, have such an experience of glory of God, can still be moved to a higher level of praise by the work of God in his salvation for us. As they witness 
and proclaim and testify to the birth of the second person of the Trinity as a carpenter's son. The one whom nails spear shall pierce him through. The cross be born for me, for you. Hail, hail, the word made flesh, the babe, the son of Mary. The angels themselves are moved to praise. Because the one who is born is the one who brings peace on earth. Not so much peace between man and man. That will certainly be a result of what's happening. But peace between God and man. Peace on earth. Jesus himself is peace. For he himself is our peace, as Ephesians 2.14 says. Goodwill to men on whom his favor rests. God is showing his goodwill towards men, towards his people, by sending his Son to the one who will be pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. By his wounds we are healed. And the angels, when they witness this, as they proclaim this, are moved to wonder. In 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, a passage I've often thought about and don't fully grasp, but moves me to wonder. 1 Peter 1, the, the prophet describes the salvation which all the prophets prophesied and looked forward to the coming of Christ. Uh, let me read verses 10 through 12, 1 Peter 1. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them, that is the prophets, that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that, that have been announced to you. Through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things into which angels long to look. Things into which angels long to look. The angels rejoice and long to see the salvation that God works for his people. They long to see it. To to see how God does it. To long to see that plan put into effect. Because we experience an aspect of God's character that the angels do not and never will. Christ did not become an angel. He became a man. Christ did not become a man for angels. He became a man for you. Christ did not die for angels. He died for you. We have experienced the love of God in a way which the angels do not. And as they witness his love poured out for you, they are moved to great praise. They long to see how God shows and reveals this aspect of his character for you. They don't, that aspect of his character is not revealed until it's revealed in his salvation for you, two finite creatures. And as they see that, as they see this aspect of who God is, his love poured out for rebels, his love poured out for those who have spit in his face. They are moved to say glory to God to the highest level. And if the angels are moved to such praise, 
how much more us, who are the recipients of that love, recipients of that gift, of that Christ, Christos Kurios, Christ the Lord. And that's exactly what the shepherds do. They go from there when the angels, and they go proclaiming and rejoicing when what they've served. They go to Bethlehem, they see Mary and Joseph, they sit this the child, and proclaim what the maid heard about this child. And they leave from there rejoicing and praising God for all they've heard and all they've seen. And Mary herself, when she hears this message, she treasures it up in her heart. And may we do the same. May we treasure this truth, Christ Jesus, Christos Kurios, for you. And may we move to glory to God in the highest. May you treasure that and hold it close when 2020 comes. And when 2021 comes. When temptation comes. When disaster comes. When weakness comes. When sickness comes. Yea, when death comes. May we treasure up that announcement in our heart. A Savior who is Christ the Lord. A good news to you this day. Born to you. Died for you. Raised for you. Ruling for you. Things into which angels long to look. And when they see the salvation that Christ works for you, the angels in heaven give praise. Because they say to glory to God in the highest. To the highest degree. As they see God's goodwill towards men. Let's pray. Gracious Father, may we indeed join with the angels in singing glory to God in the highest. Gloria in excelsis Deo. May we never be too familiar with these words, with this message, that we cease to be moved to wonder as the angels are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.